You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bill Sienkiewicz, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. To the Epic Marvel Movie Podcast, I am Steve Ferguson, and I am Douglas Ferguson. Well, Doug, how was how was your summer off of podcasting? I guess just full of different stuff. Yeah, mostly. Uh, I've, yeah, you know, it was a lot of uh, it was a lot of YouTube stuff. You know, the, the usual. So you know, when I'm not busy doing one thing, I'm usually doing another thing. Um, but when I say it out loud like that, it sounds a lot more boring. <laughs> so. And I think we're going to revisit uh, that word uh, repeatedly during the course of this. this you know, okay, truthfully, you, audience at home, you might be thinking, well, if you guys took a month off, surely that means at least one of you read the book. <laughs> to which I'd say, no, nope, nope, nope no, I did not read the I, book. It didn't even occur to me. Well, see, because that's almost... That's almost unfair, because you know this uh, this podcast is about the comic adaptation of a movie. Yes. And so once you bring the book into it, that the movie is based off of, it just kind of I don't know. I feel like it muddies the water. I've done it though. That's the thing with all the like start to oh, motion true, picture. True, yeah. I've done it. But uh, but, Runner, but here's I've the difference: is that with motion picture, yeah, uh, those are based off the movie. Where the movie here this time was based off the book. Well, but what about Blade Runner, right? I did it with Blade Runner as well. Oh, right. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. Never mind. I don't know. Right. No, 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 I see where you're going though. It's very but I, basically, it's just it's like it's better if, in my opinion, and this is why, like, when people are like, "Wait, you didn't read the Harry Potter books? You're just watching the movies?" As if that makes me like a terrible person. I'm like, yeah, well, I just want to judge the movie, the movies based on their own merits, not go. rather that. Rather than not, uh, you know, like having to compare them, uh, and and I mean, in this case, we are comparing the movie to the the comic, but that's based uh, the comic as an adaptation of the movie, because the comic isn't an adaptation of the book; it's a, an mm-hmm. adaptation of the movie, which is an adaptation of the book. And it's actually it's an important distinction. It literally is because you can have adaptations of the book when there is a movie out as well. I mean, you know, this this stuff happens. Yeah, uh, I mean, they, I, I mean, I've also seen novelizations of movies that were based off books because I'm like, why? I don't know. I think it's just, it's, a, it's a weird thing, but it's just probably just probably just you know to make more money. To make I, more, off I of, think that's off of people who must have a little bit of everything. Well, I mean, uh, let's. Uh, did, did we mention that we we're doing Dune today? Did we even mention that? I don't think we've said it out loud. I think yeah. I think we thought that we were thinking it, and so it must have come out as like a whisper to the audience. So basically, we are recording an episode on two. Yeah, we're doing we're doing yeah. Dune first. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So okay, let's let's talk a bit about a bit about um, Dune here. So uh, the movie was done by Frank Herbert, and he did he did actually a few series a uh, few in this series. The book was written in 1965, and there were at least several several other books uh, in the series of Children of Dune. I'm pretty sure there's a few, and I think. Um, 
some of them were not even written by him, but were like continued on by his yeah. son or something like that. Like there was only a few of them that were actually written by Frank Herbert. It gained a lot of a lot of notoriety. I mean, um, and it's always existed in kind of my periphery as one of those sort of cult classic science fiction works. Uh, the sort of thing is just like, oh, you know, you get like science fiction street cred if uh, if you know about Dune. You know, kind of like, oh, yeah, oh, you know, I can quote Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics off the top of my head. You know, it's one of those well, sort of sci-fi. St- <laughs> How dare you? It's one of those uh, sci-fi. Well, you know, you know what I'm saying, though, right? It's, yeah. it's just like, you know, it's uh, sci-fi nerds. They love to one-up each other. It's true. They it's love true. to. It's just like, yeah. oh, oh, well, oh, you really liked Edge of Tomorrow. I liked it better when it was called All You Need Is Kill, and I read the novel and the graphic novel. You know, stuff like that. You can like it all. It's cool. Well, absolutely, and and I think uh, I think that's an important thing that needs to be uh, needs to be kind of explicitly stated. I almost want to say every episode because honestly, it's okay to like more than one uh, version or also just one of a, of a version. Ultimately, you know, judge everything fairly. Mm-hmm. Is my opinion. You know. Uh, is it a good? Is it something that's good on its own merits? Is it something that's work good, good as an adaptation? Uh, is the story something that you can you know figure out as it's going? You know, it's you know I don't need to be a, I don't need to be a purist. No, no, and that, that's the thing too. And it, does the uh, does the adaptation work? I mean, I'm a firm believer of you should not transcribe directly and just do exactly like what was on the page has to be scene by scene on the screen i don't believe that no likewise i also don't believe that you got so far from the source material what's the point you know what i mean yeah you know the thing is what you want to do is you want to adapt something so that it is it is the ideal version of itself in that medium mm. um which of course is a lot easier said than done it is a tremendously different task it really a legitimately really really tricky thing to pull off so i know that um for myself, uh, I was aware of Dune from a fairly young age, if only because Patrick Stewart was in it. Oh, yes, yes. As we were grew up as uh, avid tre- Trekkies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, there wasn't really anything else when we were growing up that we'd recognize Patrick Stewart in. So seeing him in something different was a novelty. And I think it was on TV. It, no, it was definitely on TV a few times, but I think I caught pieces of it on TV um, I mean, it was surreal enough seeing uh, LeVar Burton as Jordy and and himself in Reading Rainbow. <laughs> so I was, I was like, wait, wait, he could do more than one thing? <laughs> That's impossible. Now, interestingly, I, I posted to your Facebook wall not that long ago where there was that newspaper article about the, the TNG production uh, announcements. And um, they said things, oh, LeVar Burton was oh, cast yeah, yeah, as yeah, the right. new Spock. Which, uh, which, which was, was a weird, totally crazy. bizarre. Especially since, uh, like, the obvious new Spock of TNG mm-hmm. was Data. Yeah, that was the obvious new new Spock. I to think me. the reporter just uh, the journalist just got their notes mixed up. Truthfully, oh okay. uh, <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, and and actually, the photo they used for most of the actors were just headshots, but for Patrick Stewart, they used his character Gurney from Dune. Uh, you can tell based on his collar. He's, mm, he's wearing yeah, the yeah. he's wearing the House of Trades uh, uniform collar. And it, actually, truthfully, it's before he grows out his hair to, or I assume it's extensions or whatever. Uh, it's actually a good look. He looks he looks very militaristic. Um, but yeah, going back, so Dune has always been kind of on on the periphery. But I always knew that it was a massive book. Actually, to be honest, I should look at it again because it probably doesn't look as massive to me now as it did when I was a kid. I just remember looking at it like yikes. And I knew that her dad was was aware of Dune. 
truthfully, I forgot to ask him, you know, if he's actually read the book or if he's just very aware of it. But, you know, he was into a lot of that sort of hardcore sci-fi, like the Ben Bova Mars series he was really into. I mean, I, I think Mom's read Doom. Uh, our mom is a huge sci-fi reader. She she goes through all the... Uh, she she reads Isaac Asimov books like well she she's interesting. She's enough, gone she, through them quite a few times. She time. reads them a lot, and, yeah. and, and it's something the, the Foundation series and the uh, the and, robot series, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Caves of Steel and yeah. stuff like that. Um, and um, yeah, I've always been curious about like what she gets out of it by reading it so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, cause, I mean, obviously she does, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it, I mean, I, I'm kind of the same way with with any media that I consume. Is that I'd rather. Um, watch something different than something again. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though, like sometimes you do get rewarded for watching something more than once. Um, and I, actually, I think actually, uh, Dune is one of those cases, um, which I guess I'll get into a little bit uh, pretty soon. Um, but yeah, I, I digress. Yeah. So, in a production sort of uh, standpoint, Dune was the book was very popular. So there were efforts to kind of get it going as a major motion picture for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, without going into too many details, uh, I believe his name is Alejandro uh, Hodorowski. Uh, yeah, I don't remember his first name. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it's, yeah. I think it's uh, Alejandro. Uh, there's a fantastic documentary on Netflix called Hodorowski's Dune. And um, it was like the amount of pre-production that went into that movie oh, was, was insane. Huge book of it, like yeah. a, a, a huge Bible. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, well, basically, is it's, it's it's the the film production Bible. Well, you know, which is which is stuff that every uh, every director has um, when it comes to making big projects, but um, I but dare not, say not usually to that extent. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, like, and the concept art honestly is fantastic. It's 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 gorgeous. Uh, they uh, some of the concept art was done by H.R. Giger, uh, who took some of the stuff and then went to Alien with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just it fell through, and then and ultimately ultimately boiled down to money. It just looked like it was the costs were going to spiral out of control. And truthfully, I think they probably would have spiraled out of control. But I would have loved to have seen. Well, the, especially uh, in that day and age, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, it's it's probably a lot more obtainable now with all our modern. With, with basically with what like any if you can imagine it a computer can make it happen mm-hmm. put it on screen um i mean just look at uh um, i mean just, just some of the movies that are being made um you, uh, you know actually one of the ones that comes to mind i'm to think of just uh, outrageously amazing visuals is actually actually dr strange hmm. um yeah. we're like man like some a lot of imagination went into this um, and like this is stuff that just wouldn't have been possible on screen even 10 years ago i think i think it would have been it would not have looked Actually, maybe ten. Yeah, you know, ten years ago is not as long ago. Certainly as not with the same yeah. refinement. Yeah, I'd say. but but uh, but yeah, I'd say not much more than ten years ago, if, if <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, well, I mean, yeah. all you gotta do is you go uh, go to uh, Matrix Reloaded. Yeah, and the yeah. stuff they were trying to do in some of those those fight scenes. Uh, today, I don't think would be no, a problem at all. Fine, would've, yeah. Would've and and that was and they had a huge budget. Yeah. And uh, and I mean every resource that could have been at their disposal was basically at their disposal. And uh, you know some of the stuff worked well, fine. Yeah. But... Actually, another example is you look at um, the Hulk from the 2002 movie versus yeah. the Hulk from actually even up to the 2008 mo- movie, where like the difference between that mm-hmm. was pretty astounding. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, special effects gonna come a long way. Back when Hodorowski's Dune was a was a he thing, was, and it was going to be all Forget practical. It. it was going to be all practical stuff, and uh, I mean, <sighs> so yeah, very, um, very ambitious. So somehow the the project got passed along to art house director David Lynch. Yeah, at one point yeah. Ridley Scott was attached, but there was uh, there was a disagreement over formatting and. Mm. 
I believe it was Ridley Scott who uh, said, no, this is basically a miniseries or nothing. Mm, um, yeah, yeah. You know, he's got some good good judgment sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> not Actually, sometimes. not all the time. Um, but I guess that, was, that would have been right after... Well, I guess, I don't know when he was in talks, but it must have been around the time he was doing Blade Runner. It, it was right... I mean, it was... I want to say I want to say just before, so maybe hmm, yeah. That that the things that like these timelines get kind of tricky too, because like like wow. I said, some people jumped off of uh, not not just Giger, but some people jumped off of Hodorowsky's project and went into went into Blade Runner basically, um, mm-hmm. and and went into Alien. Um, like there was a lot, there was a lot of uh, talent sharing, I guess you could say, which is is normal for the industry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, you, you can definitely you can definitely see like a lot of the the the, the hardcore science fiction stuff you can see in in Blade Runner and some of the other science fiction and some of the more grotesque horrific stuff definitely made their way into Alien and uh, and Dark Star. Um, yeah, so David Lynch got it. He got it based off of his success with uh, with the Elephant Man. And um, mm. have you seen much David Lynch? I haven't actually. I haven't seen a lot. I've, I feel like I've, I'm missing some of the the more important works like Mulholland Drive and stuff like that. Um, but I have seen Eraserhead, mm. which is his sort of his his debut that he that was that was the one that put him on the map. Is that um, the one with the horse baby? Yeah, uh. it's it's a weird movie. Um, I would I recommend it? Maybe. <laughs> uh, it's you know I don't know. I I walked away with it a little bit unsure about if if it was. If it's actually worth seeing, I think if you're if you're into art house cinema and you're curious, check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, I would say that it's pretty stark contrast between that and Dune, uh, just based off of the sheer dollar value. Like, like you you see, like Racerhead is is a an indie project, 100. percent Like he made it on his spare time whenever he could for the span of a few years, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, where you know Dune is a studio production, big time, um, very much so. Yeah. Um. So be really careful when you're um, reading things like IMDb trivia and articles, because I mean David Lynch famously disavows this film. Uh, famously so. If you read his comments these days, when he actually talks about it, I think, honestly, I think his last interview about it was 2004. Um, he will say that, oh, he had misgivings the whole time. Oh, you know, he knew this, this might not actually be his picture. This could just be a studio picture, but he felt like he had to complete it. I feel like there's a degree of hindsight with this. Uh, but I mean, maybe, maybe legitimately, maybe legitimately as they were filming it, he was just like, oh, I think this is going to get away from me. But, you know, to be honest, when you watch, like, some, whenever, for example, uh, he has visions in the film, I mean, it's pretty trippy stuff. And a lot of, a lot of the, the imagery and, and some of the directorial choices are, are pretty trippy. So I do also wonder at the same time if, he, if, if during production things were fine, you know? Well, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to say when you get, when you get a, a director like David Lynch who has such a uh, distinct artistic stamp on something. And you mix in millions of dollars of somebody else's money. Honestly, like I do feel like Dune is is a marriage of those two things. I, I do feel like this is kind of an art house picture with millions of dollars behind it. <laughs> like I, I do kind of feel like that's exactly what it is. Um, and that's sort of like that's kind of why it doesn't one hundred percent work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Doug, why don't you walk us through the uh, the plot as presented in the movie? <laughs> Oh, it's, it's you know it's tough. Uh, I will say you don't have to go into outstanding detail. 
Um, there, it starts with a plot with the uh, Emperor of the Known Universe mm-hmm. uh, chatting with a giant space-folding uh, bug slug creature. <laughs> you know, <laughs> as as all great films do. <laughs> they're human, though. They're human. The, uh... the, the navigators, they're human. They've just, they're part of the guild, and they've just been exposed to the spice for so long that it mutates them. Well, uh, I somehow missed that part. Well, it's it's so easy to over... Okay, and in fairness, folks, there's a lot of details that get swept under the rug, like, very easily. Uh, things happen super fast and slow at the same time. Sorry, continue. And, you know, they're just talking about how the House Atreides uh, is going to overthrow the Emperor or something like that. They, That's the worry. Yeah, yeah that, and because they're they're gaining political traction or mm-hmm. something like that. And so they're going to send House Atreides to the planet Arrakis, a.k.a. Dune, to ru- run it for a while just to sort of, you know, almost as a, as a fake show of goodwill, but what they're actually doing is setting up the... The current ruler of Arrakis, or overseer of Arrakis, is perhaps more accurate. Mm-hmm. The House Harkonnen, who are rivals of Atreides, and they're basically they're basically putting these two kids in a in a room to fight it out, and 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 in hopes to basically dissolve Atreides by having them overthrown by the Harkonnen, and then nobody's a threat to the Emperor anymore. Mm-hmm. They also want to kill off Paul Atreides, who mm-hmm. is the younger. Uh, the the son of the current duke of uh, of the Atreides house, and they kind of know that this is what the emperor is doing, but they're like, eh, let's go anyway. <laughs> you know why not? Uh, they apparently they apparently can't turn down that opportunity. Okay. Uh, even though they all seem miserable about it, they they and apparently like, they say, right, well, this yeah, is what we got to do. Let's go to this barely habitable yeah. planet. The, and, the spice must flow. Yeah. Right? Uh, the spice. Is, okay. So yes. Yeah, so that's something I did miss. Is uh, uh, Arrakis is the only place in the universe where this spice is created uh, or harvested more accurately um and the spice is what it alters people and uh it it, it, it in fact alters them so that they can make space travel possible by having them these these human slugs uh fly around in space and fold space so that you can travel through it without moving kind of a cool idea actually but uh, anyway, so it basically solves interstellar travel. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it is this it is this sci-fi universe's way of doing interstellar travel. Yeah, um, but you know, it is kind of a clever way to bring in to to work that aspect of uh, the universe in with the story, the actual story of Dune. And you know, the fighting that is predicted to happen happens, and people die. And uh, yeah, you know, I guess that's that's basically the setup. So mm-hmm. I don't know if we need to get into every every step of the way. There's a Basically, lot of other stuff that's going oh, on. Oh, there's but. there's so much that's yeah. going on. Um, um, and for you know, honestly, first time I watched the movie, I really didn't understand most of what was happening. No. Um, and I watched it way. I watched back in 2012. I want to say, originally. Yeah. yeah. I had never seen it start to finish. I caught you know glimpses of it on TV. But I did watch in 2001, I want to say. Uh, we used to, when we were teens, we used to, uh, every New Year's Eve, we would stay up all night and mm-hmm. uh, usually watch usually watch some stuff. We did a Terminator marathon one year. And uh, and one year my friend Dan brought uh, the new Dune miniseries. I think it's called Frank Herbert's Dune. And uh, and I think Children of Dune was the immediate follow-up. That's from like 2000, I want to say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it has so it's William, kind of new at that time, actually. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it had William Hurt as the role of uh, in the Duke, Duke Leto. 
And, uh, okay, this is the thing, too, is that I found it outrageously boring. and But I felt like, I felt like oh, I should be into this. But I got, in part, because it was the middle of the night, right? And we're watching this, this long, we're marathoning this miniseries. Um, it might be better viewed. In installments. Uh, in, yeah, in, I think in so. installments, yeah. I mean, part of me wants to give it another try, and the other part doesn't. So, <laughs> I, re- the, I basically remember two things. And, and guys, I watched the whole mini miniseries, but I remember two things. Number one, the navigators looked awesome and scary. Like, like as funny and blimpy as they look in the, uh, Lynch's version in uh, the miniseries, they looked like... like there was something very alien about them, and it was kind of chillingly so. I remember that, mm. and I also remember that they were barely on it in it. And I remember the scene where the Duke bites down on the po- poison tooth, poison gas tooth, and blows it at the Duke. But uh, um, I'm sorry, blows at the Baron, Baron Harkonnen, but misses. And and then somewhere around there, my brain checked out basically. Yeah. Um, I mean, no, again, no disrespect, but yeah, best viewed in installments, I think, honestly. Yeah, maybe we'll try it again. So, but uh, I'm, I'm doomed out for the moment, so yeah, well, yeah, yeah. we're pretty doomed out. Yeah. So here's um, here's some thoughts on the film. First off, if you walk without rhythm, you won't attract the worms. If you walk without rhythm, then you won't attract the worms. If if you walk without rhythm, you won't attract the worms. You can't hold no groove if you ain't got no pocket. No, not quite. No, no. Yeah. You could go with this, or you could go with that, or you could go with this, or you could go with that. Is you that where the? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fat Boy Slim's uh, weapon of choice. Uh, it, it takes the, it takes the oh. line. If you walk without rhythm, you won't attract the worms. Uh, from from this film. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Sorry. So wait, did they take a sample directly from? I don't think so. Like maybe he altered it or something like that. Maybe. I mean that's possible. That's possible. But or he could just. I didn't even know what he was it. saying in that song. <laughs> well, <laughs> in part because it is a very nonsensical statement outside of Dune. The thing is, I also like never really like bothered to listen to the lyrics <laughs> of the song. It's not a it's not a song you listen to for the lyrics. No, it's, it's not. <laughs> it's a so. song to listen to to watch Christopher Walken fly. And well, yeah. dance and then fly. Don't if you if you don't watch the dance, then what's the point of watching him fly? Right. Okay. Fair. <laughs> fair. I've been told. Everybody, go watch Christopher Walken dance. Do yourself a favor. Okay. So, <laughs> from the get go, I like the music. Uh, Toto and Brian Eno. I think the music is is very atmospheric. I think it's good. I the, think it's a uh, legitimately good soundtrack. It's almost like the th- the, the theme. I, don't, I remember right at the end as, mm-hmm. as the, it plays. It's a really great like theme song. Mm-hmm. Um, like very like it. It has weight. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of weight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of exposition that's dumped. Who was there ever? <laughs> so much exposition. Uh, and you may be wondering. It's like a. Th- Oh, like the exposition dump is three acts in and of itself, pretty right? Much. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. At the very beginning, you see um, the princess uh, Irulan. Yeah, you see the princess, and she's narrating. She's giving you some backstory, which is really kind of a filler for scenes that were originally shot but excised, because this was originally uh, somewhere between three and four hours. I've seen a couple. I've seen a couple different sources that say that the the cut, the preferred cut, was three to four hours. Hashtag release the Lynch cut. <sighs> It's never never happening. Oh, is, I'm Lynch just, is I'm, not doing it. Nah. <laughs> I, I I think it's safe to say at this point. Yeah. What is this movie? 1984. It, yeah. yeah. We're not gonna see the Lynch cut. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's safe to say. So, anyways, one aside is that you have the princess opening up. She's kind of explaining the backstory, and then you barely see her through the rest of the film. And so naturally, the question is, why her? 
Um, the answer is that she is kind of the narrator of the books. She's the one who has been piecing together the history of all the stuff that has happened. Oh. Uh, and so she's she's kind of a recurring sort of figure in the books. Do you get this from the movie? Nope. nope. Um, there's a strange directorial choice. I'm, I'm going to assume that... Actually, I can't assume this. Uh, I don't know whether this is Lynch's doing or if this is uh, uh, sort of a, a measure to help truncate at, in the exposition. But when people are thinking something, you hear their thoughts as a whisper. I've um, I've heard that. Uh, I think I think because I was watching it with Tina first time around, mm. and she was she had read the book, mm. and she said that the whispered the inner monologue whispering those were uh, I believe and don't, don't hold me this to me because I can't confirm this myself, but lines actually directly from the inner monologue in, inner monologue of the characters in the book, and that's fine, and they yeah. do it in the graphic mo- uh, novel, and that's fine in those mediums, but in a film, it's awkward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's it's. Yeah, I, I feel like none of those scenes work, and also often unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Like honestly, you should um, allow your actors to convey those inner thoughts through their performance. A good example is actually fairly early in the film when Paul hears his his three tutors basically the the teacher tutor, the combat tutor, and the doctor. Um, they're they're coming in and he doesn't turn to look and he identifies them based on their step and they're like oh well we could have been we could have been faking we could have been someone else and he has got that that uh, grin on his face he's like no no I would have known if it was somebody else and then um, I I forget the the one teacher guy he thinks oh I bet you could have you know I bet you could have couldn't you and it's lines like that we didn't need that we no. could we could, like a line like that you can read off of someone's face where you know maybe maybe say gurney is like scoffing at that like whatever but the but the other two are just like hmm you know like uh, yeah i think i think he could and also just there's other lines of dialogue that lend to uh paul having be, be, being such an adept student mm-hmm. like he's he's he seems like he's always on his toes and he's he's whatever he's learned um, he's like the top of his class, basically, mm-hmm. um, and I think that 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 is very adequately presented through the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so then maybe it was a directorial choice then, or conversely, maybe it was a studio stipulation. I don't know. That's tough. Mm, uh, I mean, who who really knows? There's a great character named Duncan Idaho uh, who is given criminally given almost no. 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 Uh, he's actually kind of like the the Biggs Biggs Darklighter from from Star Wars. <laughs> actually, he is. He's very much like that, right? Where it's just like you see him at the beginning, and the, you know he and Luke are like are like besties, and then he goes off for a bit, and then they reunite, and then he's killed. <laughs> well, he wasn't even in the uh, in Star Wars. He wasn't even in the beginning. He was originally in the be- be- uh, the beginning, but he was cut. Was he mentioned in I, the? He- I think he may have been mentioned uh, yeah. off the top of my head, but I've seen um, I've seen like so many different cuts of that bloody film. <laughs> uh, um, but he's he's definitely like he meets up with Luke later, and they yeah. they clearly have a uh, backstory together. But yeah, there's I've seen the d- deleted scenes of Biggs and mm-hmm. Luke, but uh, I, he's not in the he's not on Tatooine in the original cut or in and most of the. I I don't even I, I good point I don't know which which cuts are I mean I don't I don't think he's been re-added in I don't think he has yeah but, it, honestly yeah it's possible I'm just going based off of deleted scenes yeah um, but anyway so this guy Duncan Idaho he um, I I like his character too because he seems he seems he brings out um, a, a level of camaraderie that was needed because everyone else who seems to to be around Paul are 
uh, you know, teachers and servants and stuff. And boards. this guy was like a, a friend mm-hmm. or a knight, you know, uh, that sort of role. Uh, and um, he was played actually by the same guy who played Francis in Logan's Run. Um, oh, okay. yeah, same sort of guy, very different role, and uh, and actually, and seeing him die so suddenly after coming back, I mean, that was it was just unfortunate. He was yet another in a long string of characters in this movie who are given criminally short uh, screen time, but clearly have like a backstory and stuff that just go completely unexplored. Uh, you were you were mentioning earlier we were talking about another connection to Blade Runner. Sean Young plays Chani. His, uh, it's not his wife. It's his lover turned concubine, um, of, of the Fremen. Um, and like, like, he's just like, oh, she's the girl from my dreams. She's beautiful. I love her. Yeah. That, <laughs> that's kind of as far as it goes. They love each other and, mm-hmm. and, but I don't know what it adds to his character or his arc or anything other than, you know, it's like, I guess, like, I guess he's got to get a girl. Mm-hmm. I guess he does. Uh, let's uh, let's quickly take a talk about Kyle MacLachlan. Uh, yeah, a very young Kyle MacLachlan. Very young, but not not as young as the text in the film suggests. No, in the book he was fifteen. In the, in the new Dune, <laughs> yeah, um, the guy that they got looks really young. Yeah, yeah so yeah, um, uh, but yeah, Kyle MacLachlan. I originally knew him. Yeah, from yeah. the Flintstones movie. Flintstones movie. He was the bad guy. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, him and Halle Berry. Yeah. 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 Um, which is yeah, kind of weird. Uh, looking back, it's like, what a strange decision. To he's bring... had such a weird career, and he's worked with David Lynch a lot. Yes. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to notice is uh, Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Twin Peaks was his. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still haven't gone around to watch. And Blue Velvet as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he's worked with David Lynch. Uh, also, Paul Verhoeven. He uh, he was in um, <laughs> freaking Showgirls. Show with yeah with the most awkward looking sex scene on the planet. Oh, is it the pool one? The pool one. Oh yeah. Who approved that? Who sat and watched the dailies and said that one's making print? <laughs> and this and it's so funny because like I, have, I haven't actually even seen the movie. I, I haven't. I don't, seen I don't it. know I if I've ever, gone, but I've seen like reviews and stuff of mm-hmm. it. And every time, I'm like, oh boy, this, <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> I don't want. I, I I don't know if I want to like. Just I just I don't know if I want to do that to my brain mm-hmm. to, to to put it through that I'm like what no. am I what am I actually going to get out of Showgirls like really like, I, what, I, what am I going to get out of watching the movie that I haven't seen in these reviews of it Honestly, I have no interest in, in seeing it. It's not even like that comically bad from everything that nah, I've read. You know, just, I'll watch some comically like, bad I, movies. I feel kind of I feel kind of sleazy. You, well, that's just, it, no. It honestly does seem yeah. like a sleazy film. Uh, and uh, also, uh, have you watched How I Met Your Mother? I truthfully haven't. Have you watched it? No, no, I haven't. Uh, and uh, any chance of me watching it was thrown out when everybody complained about the ending. I'm like, well, now I know not to invest in that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, he plays, I think his character's called the Captain or something like that, but he's he had a, a major part in uh, in How I Met Your Mother. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah so, but I mean... But honestly, like, but when it comes down to it, We've got to agree that his most important work is the Flintstones. Yeah, 100% <laughs> the Flintstones movie. There's the, sorry, I'm sorry. There's that great there's that great st- scene where he's explaining steam power and how it will revolutionize the industry. Uh, and what is he? He's uh, steam. He's, like he's talking about steam powered factories or whatever. Yeah. And uh, and this old guy's like steam factories. He's a maniac. And and uh, McLaughlin's character says steam power. <laughs> 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 and then just continues on in his pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I liked it so much as a kid. I'm kind of worried yeah. about going back. Like maybe I'll, maybe I'll see the cracks. 
I probably, I probably can't will. Be, I mean, can't you know, it's probably just a, it's a silly movie. It's a, <laughs> you know, like that's the thing. Intentionally, you get, intentionally, you, you got to take it at its own, yeah. at, its, at, its, at face value. Yeah, you know, for its own merits. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Kyle MacLachlan actually, truthfully, I thought he was wonderfully cast mm-hmm. in this film. He has the physicality for it, but he also has like there's a strangeness to him that was needed. Mm-hmm. He's he he's a he's not a typically heroic figure. He's supposed to be the Messiah uh, for these for these people, but he's he's kind of a strange guy, uh, which I like. I like the fact that he's not he doesn't come in like Commander Riker or or Han Solo or whatever. He's just he's a strange kind of guy. Yeah, he's not he's not obviously charismatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so um, truthfully, I watched this film with my son Andrew. Um, because I was like, hey, you know, why don't you want to watch Dune? Okay, yeah. So the the week mm-hmm. leading up to it, I was trying to because it's a long movie. I was trying to find the time to to get Andrew to watch it with me, and I said, oh, do you want to watch Dune? He's like, ah, I don't know. And do you want to watch Dune? Ah, no. And then the night that we did watch it, I was like, hey, you know, we got a few hours. Do you want to watch Dune now? He's like, ah, I don't know. And I'm like, why not? He's just like. Well, I don't know. I've heard about video game movies. I'm like, what? What? No. I mean, and actually, truthfully, there were video games based off of the franchise, obviously. I said, what? Dune? He says, oh, I thought you said Doom. I said, no. That came out, I think, 2006. <laughs> Somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, Doom is a different beast entirely. <laughs> entirely uh, different I, I, uh, I haven't seen it, but Andrew's instincts might be correct. <laughs> I, I have no interest in seeing Doom. Uh, yeah, I haven't heard much, uh, many positive things about that one. And so he's like, ah, okay. Uh, and so sitting down and watch this with him, oh man, I got the whole gamut of reactions from him. Uh, mm. He thought the sandworms were cool. Yeah. Uh, he thought um, it was boring in a lot of parts, which, spoiler alert, it is. <laughs> uh, it, the thing that kept him hooked was the was the damn sandworms, because like he's just like, ah, is this, do you think it's bigger or smaller than the than that one in Return of the Jedi? And I said, the Sarlacc? Oh, this thing's way bigger. Oh, and yeah, so yeah. I actually went, and I, I you guys can, can look this up uh, on Google. You type in sandworm comparison, and it has uh, it has the Sarlacc, and then the next one up are those worms from Tremors, and the next one up mm-hmm. is those those giant uh, black and white striped worms from Beetlejuice, and then, and then Ooh, the Shah uh, Alud, uh, I believe the, the sandworms are called. And you know, just much, I said, oh, you know, this one, according to this source, this one's like two kilometers long. Uh, so, I mean, anytime there's a sandworm on, on screen, Andrew was invested. But some of the other the political intrigue stuff, no, he wasn't on board for it. But, well, that's a lot of the movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. No. Yeah, I, I remember asking him, uh, so what would you think of Dune? He's like, eh. I'm like, mm, yeah. All right. Me too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, okay. The, the Baron, Baron Harkonnen. Mm. Uh, a despicably evil man from based on my understanding in the book horrible horrible evil man unfortunately amped up to 11 in the film and is basically an r-rated cartoon villain and his introduction is when his pustules are being drained out of his face Mm. andrew actually said to me can i not watch this part (laughs) i said i don't blame you i don't blame you yeah uh so it's it's interesting because we get this sudden I'm looking at the runtime as I'm watching it with Andrew, and I'm like, I feel like there's so much more movie left to go. They're just in the desert sabotaging, you know, the spice production, but there's only 35 minutes left in the movie, you know? And I'm granted, I feel like I've already been watching it for a long time, uh, mm. which I had been. And then, I don't know, the pacing just goes nuts at that point. Yeah. And then it just, they squeeze in as much movie into the last half hour as possible, and it was just, 
it was kind of diff- sort of difficult to follow along. Not not insanely difficult. I mean, you know, okay, they're attacking, but like characters like his his sister, who's two but has advanced to like six or seven, uh, because of because of the water of life, blah blah blah. Mm. Um, like, good lord, I mean, that there was so much that should have been done revolving around her, um, and she's barely in the bloody film. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the the pacing is just nuts well if, i mean i was looking at it and it was over 40 minutes i think before they even landed on arrakis mm-hmm. which means uh that nothing of much substance happens for that period of time that is well over half an hour in the first act that not much happens so for so much to happen in the third act mm-hmm. um it's it is just it's just bad time management mm-hmm. of your of your of your screen time um I don't. The thing is, I don't necessarily know how much of the opening act you can cut because there's so much plot you need, and and so much of it you can't necessarily get out there without the explanation. I don't know. There, maybe maybe some of the pustules being drained could have been <laughs> cuts. Truth, truthfully, I don't know where I would make cuts or inserts inserts stuff. Truthfully, I don't know if this can be adequately made uh, without major rewrites into a feature length film. Hmm. Uh, truthfully. Because I, mean, I hear exactly what you're saying, but I also feel like, again, with the introduction with Princess Uralon doing her stuff, they'd cut a whole bunch of stuff so that they could do an exposition dump at the beginning. Uh, and and so do we then put more stuff in the second act? And no, well, that doesn't quite work either because there's got to be an establishment of of, of Paul becoming the... Um, I, I, don't, I don't remember what... It's like... I don't remember what it, how it's pronounced, um, but basically the the Messiah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I don't I don't know truthfully with the film written as this. I don't know if it could actually adequately be a film, um, or it'd have to be a whole lot longer. Well, then at that point, uh, again, miniseries. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe uh, maybe make it a three hour. You know, the thing is, is that, but that's a risk. Well, you yeah, know, it's a risk yeah. when it comes to like. Uh, getting people in the theaters it's like this is what two hours and 15 minutes or two hours 20 somewhere around there somewhere around there yeah and does it already feels it starts to feel long it already in that form the movie tanked Mm -hmm. so if you were to make a three hour cut would it have performed even worse Mm -hmm. because people are like oh i don't have that much time (laughs) and also then uh, from a logistics point of view then theaters can't run as many showtimes of it also true yeah um i mean and and I mean, obviously now we do get long films, but usually they have to be big event films, mm-hmm. like like the Lord of the Rings movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, people knew what they're getting into with those. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fanboy, the fan base was there much more than Dune as mm-hmm. a book. Um, and then uh, you know some of the Marvel films are getting pretty long, but the, like again, the fan base has been built to that. Mm-hmm. Um, like you, you can't. It's well, tough. The problem is when you have things when you talk about pol- politics, though. Uh, even like. Even these fantastical political issues. Um, this is what, why I don't think Game of Thrones would have worked as a feature film. Um, mm. There was just too many political things going on, and you needed to. Okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna catch up with the Lannisters now and see what the Lannisters are up to. Okay, now I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna see what Walder Frey is up. You know what I mean? Oh, you would have had to condense Game of Thrones. Like you'd have to cut out whole sections of it. Well, that's just it. If, if you tried to make, to make that movie. first move again, the book, the first book is huge, just like Dune. And you're like, okay, I'm going to turn this into a feature film. Like, what the hell? You're going to lose. Like, uh, it, it's it's going to undoubtedly suffer from the exact same problems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, case in point, uh, this is something uh, Doug and I were talking about earlier. Uh, there was a lot of hype around Sting being in this movie as he mm. played uh, Fade, um, one of the Baron's nephews. 
I, honest to God, especially culminating with the duel at the end, feel like his original character arc was supposed to parallel Paul's. So Paul is becoming this uh, messianic figure and, you know, uh, getting powers and getting prestige and getting an army and stuff. And Fade would be going through a journey of his own that would then culminate in a bloodlust that they would have to settle. Uh, and But there's not, not really any of that in the movie. You get a couple no. lines of him like, Oh, this guy's you know, an Atreides. I want to kill him, and that's that's basically you get these these dropped lines. Yeah, he's he's there for this sort of one on one showdown at the end, but there's really not much else leading to that. Yeah, and the thing you is, know. with the showdown, you know Paul's gonna win. It's like, oh, why would why would this guy win? Because it's Sting. <laughs> you know, is, is that is that the reason why he's gonna win? Yeah. You know, uh, now, but on the other hand, if the, if you saw the parallel, you know, there could be, and let's say that that fade through his journey was he was acquiring like these special special skills of some kind of his own maybe brought on through uh, industrial means because the harkonnens are you know come from an industrial planet so maybe some sort of augmentation or or something like that you know uh, mm-hmm. yeah you know what this sounds like actually this kind of sounds like the, the incredible hulk again uh, you know <laughs> with with abomination you know what i mean uh, yeah, you know, yeah have that sort of parallel sort of sort mm, of thing yeah. uh <laughs> and uh but i mean but you know we just don't have the connection one thing I actually quickly wanted to note is um, I don't remember the other nephew's name, the fat one who's left in charge of Arrakis, who yeah. eats dead cow. In the film, just jumping a little bit ahead, in the film he's beheaded by the emperor because the emperor's just pissed off as the whole spice thing. It's like, and Baron Harkonnen comes, and the emperor's like, "Hey, I came and I've beheaded your nephew here. Here's his head on the floor." Uh, on the comic adaptation, I don't know if you noticed, I needed to look over the panel a couple times because I had no idea what the hell he was talking about. It was just, like the head was tiny and there was no close up or anything like that. It gave it a little more explanation, a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, uh, it's sort of, uh, yeah, it's handled differently in yeah. the comic. Um, One thing about the film, uh, uh, sorry, did you, you have something? Okay, uh, is is um, the film's kind of hideous, mm. uh, and intentionally so because I think of the heavy nature of it. Yeah. But it's it's a lot of drab colors. Oh, for sure. It, it's it's like I mean because it's on a desert planet, but even all the other planets, it's like really dark and it's just really like and and it fits kind of with the mood. But it's not a film that you go and you're like, man, what a visual treat. <laughs> you know, it's it's really it's really. Uh, a very intentionally ugly film, and that one, that one is on Lynch. Uh, you know, I gotta, I gotta say, and I, and I don't know if it was the right choice or if it was the wrong choice. Um, you know, because I, I guess due due to this the nature of the story, um, it isn't. I mean, to have it as this beautiful, vi- vibrant kind of looking movie, um, it's it, it just doesn't really fit. But uh, you know, it's. I don't know, man. Sometimes it's a bit of a chore to watch <laughs> at oh, this yeah. sort of like aesthetic level. Um, you're not wrong yeah and uh, you know and that's not even counting like the disgusting scenes with like pus being drained out and and uh, yeah stuff like that so uh, yeah, yeah so let's move into the comic adaptation mm-hmm. uh, December 1st 1984 uh, Marvel Comics released Marvel Super Special number 36 Dune it was an adaptation of the film uh, Ralph uh, Macchio and artist artist Bill Sinkovich I'm praying I got poor Bill's name right. I'm praying I did. Uh, it colored by Christy Scheel and lettered by Joe Rosen. And um, it's, it's a truthfully, it's a bit of a long read. But mm. I say that with a little asterisk, which naturally you can't see. Um, part of the reason why it's long 
is it's good because it allows for you to reread. Uh, like if, if you're rereading some of the dialogue, um, you can go back and read a little bit more because there's a lot of terminology. Uh, mm-hmm. Things like Benny Gesserit, for example. It's like, whereas if you're watching the movie cold um, and they, they start, start dropping this terminology, you don't necessarily know what the hell they're talking about, so you kind of tune out a little bit. Mm. And uh, I was with Andrew when we were watching it, so I could explain some of this terminology to him. And I said, okay, well, the Benny Gesserit or this the sisterhood, they can they have some clairvoyance and some visions and blah blah blah. One of the uh, ones that got me was the weirding way or something like that. Yeah, and I, and it, I I just went I'd hear it in the movie and didn't really register, but then when I was reading him, like it really says weirding. Like mm-hmm. what does that like what does that even mean? <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, it's it's a long read. So I mean, you're not gonna necessarily be say mm-hmm. reading this on the bus. I would actually recommend as far as uh reading goes to you know uh take the time to read it because it actually becomes a very enjoyable read um you get to see people's voices a little more you get to uh understand the flow of what they're saying and the terminology and how the language has changed between us now and the year what was it ten thousand one ninety one or something i don't know yeah something like that uh so that's great that's great now, there's some strange things that I noticed. Lady Jessica and the Benny Gesserit lady in the film, when she visits Jessica and she wants to test Paul, she they walk into Paul's room and they're talking and he wakes up and he's uh, uh, he pretends to be asleep and they're like, oh no, he's not actually asleep. But on page 12, instead, his waking up is a throwaway line. They don't even go into his room. They're just like, oh, well, he's awake. So he'll become... That's just kind of a strange, strange one to me. Maybe they felt they couldn't necessarily really art- artistically depict depict it. Or maybe it was more trouble well, than it was he, worth. Because he, he wakes up a little, then he pretends he's asleep. Yeah. But they, they can, like, read minds. Yeah. And so they know he's not asleep. And, and it is kind of a strange thing to kind of try and draw because it's like oh his eyes are open but then they're shut and and, and you know and then and then like then you just have more blocks of text saying like I'm actually pretending to be asleep and, and like I'm like who wants that I, I will say as so. as mentioned before about this the the whispers the thoughts in this medium as a comic adaptation. I'm totally fine with it. Yeah, it, it works. It's it, totally it, fine. It, it actually it fits this medium just as it would in a novel. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, again, like. But again, uh, movies are a different medium. Yeah. So they, they require different a different language. Another strange omission, the one I didn't quite get, uh, and it was it was actually a pretty cool scene in the movie, was where there was that heat seeker, the flying hypodermic needle, mm-hmm. and and Paul is able to catch and, and evade it basically. Um, that's omitted from the book. Yeah. Or from the graph. Uh, sorry, from the adaptation, I should say. It's omit. It's mentioned briefly. Yet another throwaway line. Uh, but. That that's weird to me that that was omitted. Truthfully, mm-hmm. yeah, things that uh, that I think worked a little better in the movie than in the book, though. Uh, the death of Duncan. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like it was not conveyed very clearly at all in here. Like there's a there's a part where, like it it, it, it kind of shows it, but it, it just then there's this sort of thwack kind of noise um, that just really. It leaves it. I mean, it shows that he's dead, but then it's kind of awkward because he's like, "No, you can't be dead. You can't be dead." Where I'm, yeah. I just felt like that, and I don't know. I just kind of almost wussed out on actually showing the death, <laughs> uh, uh, even though like you know, there's there's plenty of gruesome stuff in here. It's not like you can't show. I don't, I don't know. It just felt, I felt like there was just something lost in the translation to here. Although what a thing I thought was an improvement was mm-hmm. this this awesome shot of the oh, of the navigator, the navigator's yeah. folding space. Like this looks amazing. 
Um, what, what page is this one? I uh, where does it where does it even say? Eh. eh. Anyways, there's a part where the navigator <laughs> is folding space, and it looks really cool. It's a good visual representation. Actually, I, I feel like this is superior to what they did in the movie, mm-hmm. actually, because uh, they. It just wasn't really clear. It looked, it still looked kind of cool in the movie. I thought that was one of the really cool like sci-fi scenes in the film. But this one just does a does a great service to the uh, the concept of it. Yeah, especially since that's how they that's literally how they explain it is like they, they fold space and together so that where you, you know it, it kind of seemed portal like in the film. In this yeah. one, it, it actually looks like he's grabbing space. I don't know. I think it's I think it's like really awesome to see. Uh. Related to to that, there's finally some explanation to the the water of life uh, in the film. Even though it's a big part of the film, uh, of mm-hmm. both Lady Jessica, the pregnant Lady Jessica, drinking it, and then Paul drinking it uh, when no man has done it before. I had no idea. Watch the movie. I'm like, what the hell is this stuff? <laughs> like they just. It's like, oh look, the water of life. Oh, dudes can't drink this because a horrible fate awaits them. Oh god, she should have told me she was pregnant before she. Drank. I'm like, why? What is it? Uh, in the graphic novel, finally we get the adaptation. Sorry, we finally get uh, an explanation where they basically like torture a sandworm. They pour water on it, and then the it's dis- so it's basically like dissolved spice directly off the sandworm. And I was like, okay, okay, so it's connected to the spice. Okay, I get it. All right, finally. Mm. Um, although that does raise the question: um, in the film, the film ends on rain coming to Arrakis. So doesn't that then kill the sandworms because they don't like water? And then doesn't that end spice production? I don't know. The uh, I guess both the graphic novel and the film end on a, a somewhat ambiguous note. Yeah, on what's, uh, the what's happening. the graphic novel ends a little more closely to the book. Again, from what I've read, uh, where Paul says, "Okay, so I'm going to be the new emperor. The old emperor, he's being exiled. I'm going to marry Princess Erlon." I guess as a way to like unify the houses or whatever. And then he has that really strange promise he makes to Ch- Chani at the end, where he's like, uh, "You know, I love you so much." I release you. You don't have to be with me ever again, or something along those lines. It was it was a very very strange, uh, strange sort of promise, but presented kind of romantically. I read read this out and 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 this tell me right yeah, tell me what what he's saying, like what you're interpreting this as. Jenny, the princess shall have no more of me than my name. No child of mine, or touch or softness, or gla- uh, touch or softness of glance, nor instant of desire. This is my promise to you, my love. Oh, okay. So he's okay. Okay, now I, I get it. Okay, so now he's saying that the marriage is only political. He promises he won't love her. It'll only be arm Chani. arm pregnant her. Yeah. Um. Oh, okay. So he, who's is he talking about? So he's marrying somebody else. Yeah. He's so okay. he's marrying the princess as a political yeah. marriage. Uh, but as a political marriage only, okay. Okay. Uh, and then they're all like, hey, yeah, hey, well, you know, concubines are awesome. <laughs> hey, well. uh, Thufer, that was the, the the mentor guy that whose name I forgot earlier, uh, he he has a suicide scene in here. It was actually filmed in the movie, uh, but wasn't was cut out, where um, in order to keep getting that antidote from milking the cat or whatever, oh, so weird. So, so, especially because there's a rat that straps the cat, yeah, too. Yeah, that, that makes me understand it even less. Yeah. Uh, he's basically commanded by the Harkonnens to, to kill Paul, and Paul's kind of wise to it. He's just like, uh, you know, Thufer, you're kind of a kind of a cool guy so tell you what if you want to do it go for it and Thufer kills himself instead and Paul's is like okay this guy gets full barrel rights blah 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 that was omitted from from the film probably in the interest of saving time but it's actually kind of nice to see it played out here given how much more attention the graphic or the adaptation uh pays to Thufer mm-hmm. yeah yeah um he did definitely feel uh his story felt a little unresolved in the in the film I, especially since 
they did go to all the trouble to you know have that weird cat milking scene. Oh yeah, and uh, not they don't actually show him milking the cat, but just to even <laughs> having even having brought it up, <laughs> yes. it, it, it leaves a lot of questions unanswered. It's like, oh okay, why? And then it doesn't really go anywhere. Um, yeah, is yeah, uh, so so many weird things. Uh, there you go. There's something that could have been cut from the film. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, we, can, we can cut that. Put a little extra climax in there. Um, a major instead. difference is um, in the film when Paul and Jessica are bound and gagged in the back of that uh, that's well, basically hover car. I think mm-hmm. it's called uh, Helioopter or something like that. Um, yeah, originally Paul he uses the voice a little bit to un to have the one Harkonnen ungag mm-hmm. Jessica, and then Jessica basically uh, uses her her voice uh, the voice to uh, influence the Harkonnens. But in the graphic novel, they changed it to basically just all Paul. Paul basically did everything. Okay. Yeah. Simplify it, streamline it. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Although uh, mm-hmm. logistically, both film and and uh, comic here. They have flying vehicles, so people can fly. Yeah. So the shield around a raccoon, it only goes up a certain height, and then the top is exposed. Mm. Wouldn't it make more sense to have a shield that completely encapsulates it? Because they could just approach from up above. Yes. Yeah, okay. The answer is yes. We, uh, yeah, we solved that one first. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's, let's talk about impressions, impressions as a whole of this yeah, adaptation. Yeah, absolutely. Doug, what do you think, man? <clears throat> Uh, you know, truthfully, I found it kind of hard to follow. Mm. Uh, I found it, um, y- you know, all of the, just all of the jargon and the the story is, is it's not clear. I basically had about as tough time following it as I did first time I watched the movie. Oh. So I was like, I don't like, oh, because again, it's been a while since I watched the film. But something must have been sinking in because by the time I watched the movie the second time for this podcast, it started to like make a lot more sense. And I started to really get it. I'm like, okay, okay, I'm following it now. So I think it's just it's just that the story is so convoluted that it just I think it just requires a little more attention. I almost feel like this is a good complementary piece to the film to kind of help clear up some details. Oh god, yes. Um and so you know, not that it should have to be, but uh yeah, and then and then so I yeah, I don't know. I th- I just feel like it's not necessarily great to read through once, mm. um, but it is pretty. But it it, it helps, um, and it might be. It might I might get a lot of it more out of it if I had a chance to read it through a second time. But I I did run out of time for it. Um, overall, I think it's got some really visually stunning moments. Kind of suffers from the similar uh, kind of gross drab color palette issue, <laughs> um, but that's because it is an adaptation of the film, so it has it kind of works within those parameters. Um, there are certain scenes that I don't uh, that look a little awkward, like Paul's weirdly long leg kicking that guy in the face. <laughs> uh, but I, what I do like about it in general is I do like the um, I think that the, the the characters do look a lot like the actors. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I like the pencil and shading. I really like the shading of it. I think that that it adds to uh, this adds to the the dark visual. It's a dark visual element that goes along very well with the story. Um, and so, like, there's just so, there's, there's so so much darkness to it, um, and that it it really fits well with the um, with with the visual style of the film, but also the tonal i the the tone of it of the story as a whole. But um, you know, I, I, Dune is exhausting, <laughs> and, and so like it's it is sometimes it was a bit of a chore to watch the film, and it was a bit of a chore to read the graphic novel when it mm. comes down to it. Um, I would I would say it's a good adaptation of the film. But like 
uh, you know, if you like Dune, you should read it. If if you're not that interested in Dune, or you know, you watch the movie, you're like, I'm never doing that again. I can't say that I necessarily <laughs> recommend uh, the graphic novel either. So yeah, yeah. There's a clip of uh, editor Bob Budiansky talking about adapting movies for comics. Right. Tell me, what is it like having to adapt a movie for the comic form or the comic medium? Well, it's a good job to have, frankly. I, I At that time, in the 1980s, I was special projects editor, editor. So not only was I working on the Transformers as an editor, uh, first the miniseries and then the movie adaptation, but I adapted a lot of other movies like, like Indiana Jones and the... Last Crusade and uh, Labyrinth and Willow and uh, Darkman and a whole bunch of movies from that era. Mm -hmm. And the good thing is you're given all of this material to work with. You don't have to, like, start from scratch. Uh, You're given the script. You're given either the movie or stills from the movie or something something that the artist can use. And then the challenge is obviously a movie plays out over maybe about two hours or so. So you have to be able narrative that fits within the within the confines of a usually like three issues of a comic book or, or maybe maybe four issues so same thing with the transformers movie you know it's all there and if you pick the correct writer the writer will, will take the dialogue that's there but also come up with all the connective tissue that's necessary you know because um you know with a with a movie even an animated movie you could put a lot visually that you just can't put everything into a comic book visually that you can put into a movie so sometimes you need a caption, you need a, an extra word balloon or something just to get from point A to point B, and a good writer will do that. So and a good editor will, will have his or her eyes on the, uh, on the script to make sure it all flows together. And what I've discovered as, a, as an editor of a lot of movie adaptations is a lot of times our movie adaptations work a hell of a lot better than the actual movies do. You know, mm-hmm. We make it flow better. Uh, you know, the writers, the artists make it flow better. You know, it's just a lot more, it's a lot more of a complete entertaining product than some of the movies which 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 uh, tend to fall flat sometimes when they're on the big screen. I remember specifically, this is digressing a bit, one of the movies I had I adapted of that era was Dune. And Dune is a, you know, it's a classic science fiction no- novel, but the movie I thought was a mess. Yeah. But our, our adaptation was pretty damn good. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ralph wrote that one as well. And we had a terrific artist, Bill Sienkiewicz, who was like a, a legendary artist mm-hmm. who, who did the adaptation. And so uh, it's like sometimes you can do a lot more in a comic book to make it right than, a, a, you know, a multi-million dollar budgeted movie can do. He felt that, that Dune in particular, he felt was, was a more successful telling of the story than the film was. And I will actually, I will agree. Uh, now, my reading experience of Dune, because I read through the, the adaptation twice, was I read it in, in installments, basically, in chunks. Okay, maybe um, that's the thing is I just... I also kind of was rushing a little bit when I was reading, and that's probably not the best way to go about it. Um, got to, got. I think you got to take your time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and that's what I did. And um, the problem is, is that like I did a bunch of. I read the com the comic before I watched the movie, so at least I was able to again with Andrew kind of guide him along and say, "Okay, here's what's going on with the movie. Uh, you know, here's what this this and this and this is." But. Um, even still watch the movie there was lines of dialogue that were dropped it could be fr- it could be a frustrating movie to watch and you know there's a party that kind of wants to like it it's a bit of a cult classic uh and oh uh, and truthfully um again like i said lynch has disavowed this he doesn't even want to talk about 
And when it was released for TV, they added on more of the footage, and he hated it even more. Oh. I think the project was beyond redemption for him. There was nothing they could do. Yeah, you know, it's tough because, like, conceptually, there's there's so many things that do work that it's so mm-hmm. frustrating that it doesn't work. Yeah, um, so, I mean, yeah. I, I honestly, reading through the, the, the graphic novel... Uh, I keep calling it that. Uh, the, the comic adaptation. I mean, you know, it's it, it's not wrong terminology. Yeah. Uh, I like I liked it quite a bit, but it was not a like I said, read on the bus sort of experience. It was it was more of something that I kind of took took time reading and I read it in installments, and it allowed me to really absorb the art. For example, to like really uh. to spend time, you know, when you're going back over some of the dialogue and stuff. Uh, I felt it was it was uh, it was pretty good. I would definitely not object to owning it. Um, it was it was pretty good, but I will concur that you know uh, for somebody who's not initiated, say into Dune at all, um, this would probably be just a little too too heavy for within its own mythology. Um, I kind of felt that way about um, Nightwatch, which was a Russian uh, series of Russian novels. And uh, the film was a, was an absolute mess. In order to uh, watch the film, when we did, uh, I felt like I kept having to explain stuff. Because the right, random yeah. stuff would happen on screen. And I knew what was going on from the book. Uh, and I said, okay, well, he's entered the, I think it was called The Twilight. I haven't read it in, in ages. Uh, and so it's this sort of half-spirit realm or whatever. Okay, and this is this happening, and this is this happening. Because the film was just doing, doing, doing the source material no service. And so I cannot say that in... in good faith because i haven't read the book and i'm almost a part of me is just like okay i gotta read this book maybe i'll get bored and put it down and not want to pick it up again maybe i'll really like it i don't know but the other half of me is kind of feeling like you man just kind of doomed out you know what i mean you gotta give it some time i think um you know it's it's um i hear the book is very very good Mm -hmm. um and in a novel you can accomplish this scope of story way easier than you can in a in a film or or even a i mean if you were to to make a very long graphic novel, I think you could cover it all. Um, but uh, but again, like this isn't an adaptation of the, the book; it's an adaptation of the film, mm-hmm. um, and so like, it had its own limitations. Um, but I, I I I part of me really admires like the ambition of the Dune story. Sure, um, it's uh, I mean it's it's sci-fi, but it's also this weird spiritual thing. Like it's it's really it's really cool. But yeah, but it is. I mean, I I still also imagine that it's kind of exhausting uh, on the novel end of things as well. So, yeah, it might be. Yeah, yeah. Just because it's you know it's it's all heavy stuff. It's, it's it it is. At least from what I've gathered here, based off of the the film and stuff, like it lacks any levity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so yeah, you just have to go in for really like almost. I, I imagine an intense experience. <laughs> yeah. So. Now that being said, that being said, you and I were also discussing a little earlier that uh, there is a Dune film slated to be released next year, twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a, a little bit of a connection uh, that we mm-hmm. weren't really intending between uh, our last episode of Blade Runner and uh, our episode of uh, Dune here. Um, in that Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, was directed by Denis Villeneuve, who. Uh, is a is an acclaimed actually Canadian director mm-hmm. um, who yeah started out in the, in the Canadian film industry and has uh, worked his way into Hollywood and is making um, some very outstanding films. Um, you watched Arrival? Uh, I haven't watched it. I've I been, thought I heard that you were going to. I was going to uh, on a flight when I was flying back from Europe. Um, 
<laughs> we had it queued up to watch because we were on a, a very long plane flight, and I accidentally broke my headset. Oh, well, must of that. It, yeah, no, I was I was feeling frustrated. I I have tried to start the movie three times now, <laughs> and it has just not panned out. And I want to watch this bloody movie. Uh, okay, well, but I, do, I, I do recommend Arrival. I did um, see Enemy. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Incendiaries is another one that he did um, that I highly recommend. Um, or Incendies? Incendies, I think. Incendies, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm adding vowels. Uh, I'm adding all the syllables that aren't there. Uh, Incendies. Um, and yeah, he's just got a great, uh, pretty great Pri- track record. Prisoners? Prisoners. Prisoners? Yeah, I yeah. didn't see that one, though. Yeah. So I can't, I can't say, but I, I, I do. I should. I should. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah no. That, that's, that's the interesting thing is that his attachment to this project is actually... Like, there's a part of me that's like, oh, hell yeah, I'm going to see it. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. I don't know if we mentioned, he's going to be doing the new Dune. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, he's, uh, that's, uh, yeah, that, I feel like, man, if if Denis Villeneuve can't do it, yeah. I don't know if anyone can. Then forget it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it, that's, that's our, this is our best shot, everybody. This yeah. is it. Next, next, year, next year's Dune, um, maybe we can make it work. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's do a bit of feedback. Uh, I'll get you to read the first one, Captain. Uh-huh. It's uh, it was the only one that we got. Uh, looks like off Twitter. <clears throat> um, from Noel Tate, he says, "Was just talking with a friend about the book and movie earlier today. The comic is the best version of the story, in my opinion. The movie's visuals are great, but it's sort of a meandering story that the comic is able to condense a bit, and along with Shinkovitz's art, refine it." Yeah. Uh- out of all the versions of the story that I have seen, I would agree that this is this is the best one that I've I've experienced. But again, I haven't read the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, no disrespect to the miniseries, but honestly, I, I was not into it. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well. We actually got uh, one from Curtis as well. He said, uh, "So I have to be honest with you guys. I did not like the movie. In fact, oh, I didn't wow. even finish it. I tapped out at the halfway mark, which is still like feature length, anyways." <laughs> <laughs> This was my first time watching it, and I knew it was both a cult classic and a well-known flop of a movie. So I went into it not really knowing what I would think. It was just a mess. The pacing was terrible, the dialogue was awful, and there were some weird choices, like the random thoughts we would hear, and that really didn't mean anything. Also, what random thoughts could you be talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Thank you. Uh, Also, the plot was overly complex, filled with characters that made no impression. However, the adaptation I really enjoyed. All of the filler and drawn-out timing was condensed into a tight story, and I realized that the second half, once the war starts, is way more interesting than the first half of the film. I should have just kept watching a little longer. The story is complex, but reading the rest of the story really filled out the characters and their motivations. It's actually a good story, and boy oh boy the art. This has got to be one of the best visual treats we've ever seen yet on the Epic Marvel Movie Podcast. Every page is a masterpiece of storytelling by way of serialist and, in some cases, abstract imagery. So good. Even terrible concepts like the talking head at the beginning <laughs> explaining all the history uh, works on a way better level how it is portrayed in this comic. I'd agree with that one. Yeah. I'm sure. glad this comic exists because it succeeded where the film failed. Certainly, uh, Curtis, yeah, certainly in, in some respect, I'm absolutely absolutely going to agree with you. I mean, the art honestly is gorgeous. It's, it's, it is good. Uh, it would have been so easy uh, just to kind of like churn out just a comic adaptation, you know. But to actually take the time to, to really add depth and pay, you know, really good attention to the coloring and stuff like that. I mean, the coloring is, is I mean, I agree. It's, it's drab in the sense that the in um, that the film was so it is reflective of the film mm-hmm. but it's it's still it's still really good it's it is legitimately really good art that's the thing that stands out the most to me as well Curtis 
uh, about the art. I think uh, expanding upon that, the adaptation's failings are um, rooted in the film's failings, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so that's... Uh, that is the, the merry world of Dune. I guess I wonder, you know, I wonder if there'll be a comic adaptation of uh, Villeneuve's version. I don't know, maybe. And I wonder if Marvel will put it out. Who knows? Do they still hold the rights? I don't know. Yeah, they'll probably buy the rights. Who knows? (laughs) Buy everything (laughs) else. Disney buy. Anyway. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, that's, uh, anything else we need to do? Well, you discuss? know, uh, we were... T- uh, I was going through the list of, uh, of the Marvel specials, and um, and then I saw one title come up, and I was just like, oh, I haven't seen this movie in ages, and mm-hmm. I have been thinking about showing it again, showing my son Andrew, uh, just to get kind of, you know, his temperature on it. And I was looking at uh, issue number 31, the Last Starfighter. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to that because I feel like it's it's light material, mm-hmm. uh, and after delving into Dune and and uh, like I, yesterday a night uh, or last oh, yeah, night, yeah. I was I was trying to sleep. I kept waking up because I kept dreaming about freaking <laughs> Dune uh, in my head. And, and no, was, you were having you were having uh, dreams, but you were awake. Uh, yeah, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> so I'm not super well rested right now, everybody. Um, <laughs> So yeah, my waking dreams of Dune. Um, so to have something light like the Last Starfighter, which mm-hmm. is you know it's 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 fluffy and it's cute eighties eighties material, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. and and uh, I remember liking it and uh, having a lot of fun with it when I was a kid. So I, I'm looking forward to watching that again yeah. and, uh, and reading the comics. So yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I guess I guess that's it about it for for us this month, eh? Yeah. Uh, thank you, folks, especially those of you who uh, decide to watch the movie and and read along if if you got it, if yeah. you got it, it's out there on the internet, folks. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I was gonna say something, but uh, no, it's gone. He wasn't so, actually gonna say anything. I was just trying to sound important and have the last word. <laughs> <laughs> Did he really mean that? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm tapping out. Yeah, that's it. All right, folks. We will see you next time. Read some comics. Watch some movies.